0: hey guys welcome to another episode of med cases before we start with today's case um, i thought i I would discuss a few things i missed out in my previous episode of um, iron deficiency anemia so the first thing i would like to say is rdw well i didn't say it right the last episode it stands for um, red cell distribution width so it is basically the distance between the two rbc's Well, the second thing I would like to discuss is hemic mama. All right, so I said hemic mama is not due to a valve defect, but it is in fact due to anemia. Well, it is seen in cases of severe anemia, um, usually seen in the apical or the precordial regions in cardiac auscultation area, and it is a systolic mama. So the probable mechanism for this is the dilatation of the mitral ring. Or sometimes even the tricuspid ring. So this would lead to a relative insufficiency in a mitral valve or a tricuspid valve. Again, this is not due to the valve defect. So this is a functional mama. Sometimes, I've also read that there is a diastolic mama. Which could be probably due to the dilatation of the ventricles. Leading to relative narrowing of the valves again this is quite rare but this systolic murmur is quite common in severe anemia okay so let's get to today's topic well this is a lengthy one so we're going to do it over two episodes just to make sure that the episodes not too long and and not boring mainly (laughs) Okay, so today's case is a 10 year old child B. She was brought to the clinic by her mother, who complained that the eyes of the child were turning yellow and the child has been getting tired easily while playing. The mom also said that uh, they have visited a physician before and the physician uh, for uh, the easy fatigability, and she was given iron tablets, oral iron tablets. Uh, tablets for the symptoms but she found no improvement apart from these two symptoms she has no other complaints no itching uh, no greasy stools her diet has been the same Uh, family history uh, gives a history of blood transfusion in maternal uncle but the details are not known all right so we move on to her examination so toe she has pallor, she has icterus, no lymphadenopathy, edema or cyanosis. So the only two positive signs are pallor and icterus. On examining her systems, respiratory, cardiovascular and uh, central nervous system were normal. Abdominal was positive for hepatomegaly and splenomegaly. Right, so we have her HP. So we now have to move on to her labs to find out what she actually has. Okay, so let's break down her symptoms. Now she's complaining of easy fatigability. So that would most commonly be anemia. So let's do a CBC for that. Alright, the second symptom she had is ictris or jaundice. So we must look for her liver functions and we do an LFT liver function test. Alright, and in examination, we also found enlarged spleen and enlarged liver. So we need to do something for those as well. So enlarged liver, again, liver function tests would cover it. For enlarged spleen, uh, one of the most common causes for enlarged spleen would indicate it over functioning or hyper functioning. So we will do a peripheral smear to just see why it is over functioning. And once it is over functioning, what the result is. Okay, now let's look at the reports cbc is showing low hemoglobin indicative of anemia that also exhibits the pallor then we look into the red blood cell count this time it is normal okay so normal RBCs with low hemoglobin and we look at the rbc indices okay so we have a low mcv and a normal rdw okay just We'll move on to the next lab before we uh, comment on these. Peripheral smear is showing a microcytic hypochromic picture. And this time it also has target cells. Okay, so based on these two labs, we know that this is anemia. But we still have no idea which type of anemia this is. Okay, the next lab we had, uh, or the last one we had already done, was LFT, liver function test. So, liver function test is showing um, an increase in total bilirubin and an increase in indirect. So, an increase in total and indirect bilirubin. The liver enzymes are normal. Proteins, uh, total proteins albumin is also normal. Okay, so this picture of LFT indicates that the jaundice is a prehepatic. So now we have anemia, which is microcytic hypochromic with target cells, and we have jaundice, which is prehepatic. Okay, now we have to treat them either separately or together. Okay, so now that we know the child is 10 years old, growing age group we would definitely have to rule out um, iron deficiency anemia because it is quite common in this age group. So we perform an iron studies. Okay, the iron studies would show us the following, or are showing us the following. Total iron is increased, ferritin is increased, and TIBC is decreased. Okay, if you remember from the previous episode, um, in iron deficiency anemia, you're supposed to be having a low iron, low ferritin, and a low TI- and high TIBC. But in this case uh, scenario, it's the exact opposite. So this is not iron deficiency. Okay, now that we know this is not iron deficiency, that also explains why she is not improving with oral iron, oral iron tablets. Okay, if we put together all the other symptoms like anemia, jaundice, with splenomegaly, it could also be a hemolytic anemia. Okay, before we go into hemolytic anemia, most of the hemolytic anemias have a normocytic, normochromic picture. Most of them, not all of them. So we have to, first of all, prove that this is or not a hemolytic anemia. So we have to do um, three tests, at least haptoglobin, LDH, and reticulocyte count. So haptoglobin is decreased, LDH is increased, and reticulocyte count is increased. Okay, now this indicates that it is a hemolytic anemia. Okay, if you want to know why, let me just... uh, explain why this particular lab test would indicate a hemolytic anemia. First let's look into haptoglobin. So this is a protein synthesized by the liver and when there is hemolytic anemia ion is released or heme heme part is released into the blood which binds to the free haptoglobin to form a compound. So if it is hemolytic all the compound is uh, all the free Haptoglobin is used up, and hence there is less free haptoglobin in the blood, which shows as a decrease in haptoglobin in hemolytic anemias. LDH also has a similar LDH is like an inflammatory factor which normally is increased in hemolytic anemia. Reticulocyte count. So, as you know, reticulocytes are pre erythrocytes or Stages before the erythrocytes are formed and released into the blood. So, if there is an increased destruction of RBCs, the bone marrow tends to overproduce it and put it into the system as soon as possible. And hence, we have a higher reticulocyte count. Okay, now that we know that this child B definitely has a hemolytic picture in her scenario, we need to find out what is causing the hemolysis. So, it could be a sickle cell disease, ferocytosis, antibody mediated, G6PD deficiency or PNH. So, let's see what we can do to rule out everything or or just leave one and rule out the rest of them. Okay, so let's see. Okay, if you're thinking about sickle cell disease causing hemolytic anemia, um, Peripheral smear should show sickle cells. But here we only have target cells. So this is not sickle cell disease. Hereditary spherocytosis. Again, the peripheral smear should show spherocytes. And in this scenario, it's not. PNH, no hemoglobinuria as a symptom. Antibody mediated, which could be cold or warm agglutinins. For this, we do a Combs test. So we did a Combs test and it's negative. So this is not antibody-mediated. Another one could be G6PD deficiency. But again, if it is G6PD deficiency, peripheral smear should show bite cells or Heinz bodies, which are again a cause because spleen tends to recognize these abnormal cells or the Heinz bodies in these abnormal RBCs and tends to bite it off. And hence we see bite cells. But in her... in Uh, the patient B's peripheral smear there, uh, there is no there are no bite cells or Heinz bodies so we have ruled out all of these now if you combine the CBC, TIBC's hemolytic picture there is another cause which could fit into all of these that is thalassemia but we need to confirm it so what we have what should we do to confirm this well, we have to do a hemoglobin electrophoresis. So, why do we do hemoglobin electrophoresis? So, it is a normal phenomenon for our body to adapt to anything which is abnormal. So, once we have abnormal hemoglobin in our body, the spleen is trying to remove those abnormal cells, and hence we and, and we're seeing hemolysis and jaundice. But we still need. RBCs to carry the oxygen to the rest of the tissue so, so the body functions properly. So, our body naturally try, tends to overproduce other forms of hemoglobin, including HbF, HbA2. And let's say in this case, simulation, both of them are high. So, this proves that this child has um, thalassemia, most likely beta thalassemia. I will get to it. In the next episode now to also confirm and determine the type of thalassemia we should do a genetic study um, so this a genetic study would confirm the diagnosis that this is a thalassemia and it would also differentiate if it is alpha or beta thalassemias along with its subcategories like thalassemia traits majors and minors Bart's disease So a genetic study would definitely help us do that. Alright, so this is how you would evaluate a person with anemia, more likely to have a hemolytic picture and how you would rule out other hemolytic causes from thalassemia. As you can see, thalassemia is not the first thing which would come up in our differentials because we need to rule out other possible causes which are easier to perform and see. Okay, apart from these tests, there are a few more investigations which we have to do for a thalassemic patient, but we will discuss about it in our next episode along with our management. Until then, see you all. Have a nice day. Bye.